so that we can self-isolate having just arrived back from uh, Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. Wow. How's it going? Not too bad, actually. Um, I've pa- painted a fence, so I've uh, been as productive as I can. That's Painting a fence, is, that's, that's like a hundred times more than I think I've done. Yeah, and uh, the nerdy thing is that I've been painting the fence listening to your interviews with David Woods. That is, uh, that's, that's pretty tragic, really. That's, that's, <laughs> that's just a sad ending to that story. Hey, everybody, Pre-Accident Podcast, Todd Conklin. How are you doing? Are you uh, crazy yet? Just asking. I mean, I'm not going to report you. So you can be honest with me if you feel like you're a bit crazy. I think I'm going a little crazy. Um, but I'm getting to talk to a lot of cool people. That's good. I mean, you know, through appropriate social distancing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not out there on the streets. In fact, I I, I think I said this kind of in a teaser the other day, but this has to be the longest I've ever been home ever. And it's not bad, this. Not at all, actually. Not bad at all. I'm getting... Um, I'm, I'm getting, well, I almost said I'm getting stuff done, but that would be kind of a lie. I'm okay with knowing that what's happening is what's happening, which sounds kind of guru-y and what is the sound of one hand clapping sort of stuff. But, but I don't know. I, I don't, sometimes I think there's so much going on in the world that it kind of overwhelms us and we need to create a little space where, you know, watching TV or sitting silently and thinking, crap, an hour just went by is maybe an okay thing. I don't know. I mean, you'll have to tell me we're in this together, but it seems like a huge waste of energy to feel guilty for not doing something because you didn't get it done. But still, you'll probably feel that way. I mean, that's pretty ingrained. It doesn't go away that quickly, that, dang it. I wish it did. That would be great if it did go away. That would be amazing. Are you taking care of yourself? What are you noticing? Because I'm curious what you're noticing. Uh, and part of that is a, a function of this conversation. Today's, today's conversation is with um, Adam Johns. So, and if you, put a, if you did it backwards, it'd be John Adams. No, it'd be John's Adams, but it's Adam John. Anna, Anna, Adam spent a career in aviation safety and was most recently the dude at Cathay Pacific. He'll tell you all about that. That's coming up in the podcast, but it's interesting because our conversation, we really came up with sort of the three things we ought to be doing when we bounce forward out of this, when, when the crises abates, however that efficiency thoroughness trade-off happens and it will happen when that crises abates, what what's what do we need to look for? What's this look like? What happens? And that was a really interesting conversation. And I think I needed it because it made me think about things. And so that's always good. And it was fun. It was a great time. I mean, it was really a good time to get to talk to somebody who's thinking about our world and resilience and restoration um, and living in the middle of it and in the process of giant life change. Cause why not put all this crap at the same time? I mean, it seems like now is as good a time as any to have a complete life change. Why not? You know, why, 
Was it going to give you more stress? I don't know if you can have more stress. That's my theory on that. But other than that, um, the conversation's great. The podcast is, is strangely, weirdly popular. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I know that my job uh, on the podcast is just to put interesting stuff up here. I get that. And it's never really been, um, it's just a conversation. And it's always just been to build community and have fun. It's clearly scratching an itch for people somehow because the number of people that listen and comment are higher than they've ever, like, like a lot higher, like by a factor of four higher. So there's a lot of your peers and associates around the globe that are hanging out with us. So, you know, say hi to them when you go by, but mostly it's just fun to hang out with you and see what you're doing and see how things are going and kind of, you know, hanging out just like we always do. It's just right now we have a lot more to talk about. So we, we oftentimes don't have that much. We had to make crap up to talk about, but now we got all sorts of things to talk about. And so that's, that's a good thing as well. And uh, pretty valuable. Today's podcast is going to be interesting because this idea of what happens when we start to re-enter the world is really an interesting idea to me because um, the belief that somehow we'll just pick up where we left off is is simply not true and, and couldn't be true. I mean, this is a gigantic intervention that will change everything. I mean, you think about it, if you're a, if you're a, a graduating senior this year, think how different your life's going to be because you're not going to get to graduate. Um, you know, if, if you're out there starting your life anew, just jumping into the job market, it's a pretty crappy time to do that. If you've had to adjust jobs because, because your job went away, there's a lot of fear and anxiety and knowing at least the conversation around what bouncing forward looks like, that conversation is pretty important to have. And so that's really where this conversation led. We didn't have, I never have questions or agenda or I don't even really talk about what we're going to talk about before you, if you've been on the podcast, basically we just call and start chatting because there's tons of stuff to talk about. That's where this led us. And I think it's a pretty interesting place to be led to, to which to be led. How do you say that in grammatically correct fashion? It's a good place to go. Maybe that's a better way. Because um, I, I think this thinking, albeit kind of um, a couple of friends sitting around talking, this thinking's pretty valuable. And it kind of le- it seeds the idea of what the future will hold for us in a little bit more firm way. So listen and see what you think. This is Adam Johns, and uh, we're just going to have a conversation about the world right now and what's going on and what it's like to move from Hong Kong back to the UK, back to back to England, because there's a pretty big adjustment period there uh, just because you're coming out of Hong Kong. So listen carefully, sit back and relax. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Uh, maybe we'll talk more at the end, maybe, if you're good. Here we go. I have been working in the aviation industry for just over 10 years now. Um, I recently uh, moved back from Hong Kong to the UK. I was in Hong Kong for just over four years working for Cathay Pacific. Um, Cathay are a a large airline based in Asia. They're they're kind of the de facto um, flag carrier for Hong Kong. Been been around for over 70 years. 
um, over 200 aircraft um, and not normally carry about 40 million passengers a year, but obviously um, those numbers aren't going to be achieved this year. Um, before I was at um, CAFE, I used to work for the UK Civil Aviation Authority, uh, and that's basically the equivalent of the FAA. I was there for about three years, um, and before that, I was at um, a smaller airline in the UK called Virgin Atlantic, so uh, one of Richard Branson's uh, babies. Um, and before that, I was working in a, a company that were, um, that delivers flight data monitoring solutions, so the, the black boxes, um, uh, looking at the data that comes off those. So I've spent about uh, just over 10 years working in airline safety, really. Um, so my background is, is flight safety, um, flight safety analysis, um, safety management systems in aviation, um, risk management, that kind of thing. Wow, what an interesting background. Yeah. Um, what what, what it, led you to Hong Kong? Um, so I'd, I'd been working for the regulator for a few years and um, as, as much as I enjoyed working there and I was doing some really interesting things, I was quite um, sort of had a longing to get back into the industry, but I also had a, a desire to work abroad um, and an opportunity came up at CAFE and ticked both of those boxes. So I, I jumped at it and was lucky enough to, to get in. Oh, wow. And the food alone is a reason to stay, you know, in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely put on a few pounds over there. Yeah, I think it'd be hard not to. So, so what are you doing now? You're, you're, you're clearly transitioning one more time? Yeah, so um, I was, uh, I guess, a little bit unlucky. I resigned um, as, as part of a plan uh, back in early January to come back to the UK, um, leaving Hong Kong for personal reasons rather than professional um, and it just so happened about two weeks after I resigned, all of the coronavirus uh, news started. Um, but um, I guess working in aviation, it was going to be difficult to, to sort of claw back that resignation. But I, I, I decided that we still wanted to come back to the UK and, and figure things out from here. Wow. Wow. That's that's uh, there, there must be that that just hearing you tell that story kind of gives me anxiety. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely um, it's been a, a little bit of a roller coaster um, in terms of the the mental health, I guess, over the last couple of months. But um, I think I'm I'm pretty excited about what the what the future might hold and um, sort of trying to to offset the short term negativity of what's happening with more long term positivity um, around what what this could do for the for the planet as a whole, I guess. What do you um, think the future holds for safety? I mean, you're the you're in a way you're kind of the perfect person to ask this question of what's your what's your let, let me translate this into um, UK. What do you envisage? Did you hear that? How'd that <laughs> yeah, sound? Yeah. Did, did that sound like a local kind of when I said that? Yeah, thank what, you for using What do you envisage um, a career looking like in I don't know six months or a year? Pick a time. It's it's. Time's so relative now that it's hard to understand even how to give examples. It is. Um, personally, if I'm, if I'm being an optimist, um, which being a sort of safety risk guy is quite difficult for me, um, I would say that the, the movement around safety to resilience engineering, I think there's an opportunity to kind of accelerate that right now um, because organizations are going to be looking a lot more at risk management, at resilience, but resilience both in terms of preventing crises from occurring, but also managing and recovering from crises. So it's sort of both both sides of the coin. So I think 
as a as a as a science as a as a practice um resilience engineering and the associated movements i think i think there's a possibility that there could be a lot of a lot of work around a lot of opportunities there do you think there'll be pressure on organizations well aviation is a great example to move away from efficiency and and shareholder value more towards resilience and and um stability like that i'd like to think so um i'm sure everybody knows the airline industry has very tight margins so there's always a huge drive for um for efficiency um and airlines also have to think in quite a short-term way so um you know one to two years max really um in terms of that sort of tactical business management but i i can't see how any large organization, large or small, really, could avoid having to think about these things and having to think about building capacity back into their operations um, to be able to deal with not just a future pandemic, but any any other crisis or, or, or challenge that our complex world might throw up in the next few years. Will we will we learn from this? Do you think? I mean, have, have we set up the have we set up the components necessary to learn from? from this catastrophic event we're having? Um, I have to think back to 2008-9 with the global financial crisis. Um, I'm not sure that a huge amount of lessons were learned from that. So part of me is a little bit pessimistic, but I think that this is almost an an order or two of magnitude more significant than that. Yeah, I would agree. I think that if, if the right people get the right airtime um, in the media and, and in front of governments and, and uh, you know, United Nations bodies and things like that, then I think we, we could hopefully sort of see, see some positive learning come out of this. So how do we talk about resilience so the right people are hearing us? I think we just have to we have to talk more, but I guess it's not just um, on transmission. We have to be on 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 receipt as well. So it's about having a having a dialogue at all levels of, of business, at all levels of of government, and the, the people that know know what the the science is and and have the the practical um, research that, that that they've done need to do as much as we possibly can to get out there and and, and sell the message really. And how do you propose that happening? I mean, what do you, what do you see as the opportunities? I think and it may be too really early. Is, I mean, Adam, I, it's, who knows, right? Yeah, I think I think the challenge is trying to make a science like resilience engineering mainstream. Sexy? So, Did, were you thinking when you said mainstream? Were you thinking sexy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult. It is difficult to make make it sexy in its current form, I guess. Um, I but think we're doing a good job happen. at it. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, psychology, sociology, you know, these these kind of like purer sciences, um, you know, have become a lot more um, sort of contemporary over recent years. A lot of people writing books that uh, that are more aimed at the general reader um, that talk to some of these some of these ideas um, and sort of try and bring transdisciplinary sciences like resilience engineering to the fore. I think more of that would be really helpful, um, but just trying to get into more more sort of mainstream media outlets with some of the some of the science, but in a way that's digestible to to the general public, I guess, so that it's almost like the public says we need to be more resilient. Um, I mean, the term resilience has become a lot more popular in in 
in public discourse recently, but mostly around mental health. Um, I think if we can try and do the same thing around um, what we consider resilience from a, a resilience engineering perspective, then, then we'll be halfway there. But I think that even the mental health conversation is a conversation of resilience. And I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of just, for lack of a better word, post-traumatic stress that will come out of this. I think, I think people are, are really pretty wounded, pretty significantly wounded. How will this change safety management systems? I think there's, I think it's, there's an inevitability that we, we have to move to a sort of a new way of seeing the management of safety. Um, I think if we just sort of take it broader than safety, generally at, at all levels of, of business and government, there's, there's been a failure of foresight here. Um, and it's not that we didn't know there was a possibility of a pandemic. It's that we didn't probably didn't judge the the potential impact and, and the likelihood to use the traditional measurements of risk. We didn't we didn't really judge those correctly. I think it appeared on the on the latest World Economic Forum top ten global risks. I think pandemic appeared at number ten on impact, and I'm not sure it appeared on the likelihood scale out of the top ten. So, as as a as a society, we we didn't really address this from a risk management perspective in advance. So I, th I think that's kind of a story that, that tells us that we need to do more, uh, whether that's generally around how we manage risk or if it's more specifically around how we manage safety risk. But we, we need to use, use that as a, as, a, as a sort of a jumping off point. Um, and as, as you, you spoke to David um, recently, it's about bouncing forward. We've got to use this as a, as a, as a springboard to, to push ourselves forward to, to introduce some of this new, new science into, into business. And that bouncing forward idea is really appealing at a bunch of levels, at least to me, because it means we can we can move incremental we can move more than incrementally, we can move exponentially over over parts of our systems that were um, uh, seen as less than attractive when tested. Yeah, yeah, and 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 one thing you could you could see about this is I think you've discussed it on on previous podcasts how. When these sorts of crises happen, um, big decisions that normally take years or even decades to make are being made in a matter of days or weeks or even hours. Right. Um, so, you know, a university that's maybe um, been discussing moving some of its content, some of its courses online for the last five years decides they, they do it. They have to do it out of necessity within a week. So if, if we try and sort of use that in, in the safety world. Um, you know, trying to introduce safety to or resilience engineering more scientifically into those organizations may may have taken five years pre-pandemic, um, but post-pandemic, may, may, maybe that transition could occur a lot quicker because there's more of a an acceptance that that's needed uh, in order for us to be ready for the next crisis um, that we may face. So that's an excellent point. I think you're right. In fact, I would suggest that point is is maybe the perfect leverage point because companies who let's let's talk about life-saving rules companies who who've really pounded on these life-saving rules as a core component the core plank of their safety value system throughout the organization once the pandemic happened a, a lot of rules went away and the question you want to ask is 
did we get less safe? Did we get more dangerous? And the answer is no, we didn't get less safe. We got productive in a different way. We adapted, right? We adaptively responded to the system. So do we need those rules to come back? So it's interesting you would say that. I think that's really powerful. In many ways, organizations have probably moved beyond traditional um, standard sort of safety is the absence of failure to uh, maybe a newer understanding of safety is the presence of capacity, of resilience. Yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting point you make about how, you know, some of some of the policies or procedures that that were commonplace and sort of seen as red lines pre-pandemic um, may have may have had to have been removed to, uh, you know, allow for social distancing to take place or, or other things. Um, once once things go back to whatever normal is, uh, I'm sure normal won't be what it was. Uh, we need to kind of before we go straight back to those rules, we need to we need to ask ourselves are those rules the right rules to have? Um, I think one of the misconceptions in Safety 2, or one of the criticisms of it, which I think is a misconception, is that it's about removing the rules. It's about giving people complete autonomy, which is not. It's about understanding the complexity that's inherent in the system and designing the constraints and the controls that are most appropriate to manage the hazards um, and threats that, that are posed. Sometimes that means being very, very constraining uh, and ensuring 100% compliance on that constraint. And sometimes it means providing a, kind of a, a broader spectrum to allow people to, to pick what they think is the best way to do the, to do the work. So I think after this is all calmed down a bit, rather than go straight back to those rules, we need to say, is that rule actually worth having or should we possibly adapt it or change it. And how would we do that? How, what do you think the best way to do that would be? Um, I think you've got to, well, I think observing the work in, in its natural setting um, to really understand it in, in the best possible way. Um, obviously, most, most rules get made up either in advance of the work ever begin ever taking place or um, you know, or they, they just sort of get adapted without any knowledge of how the work actually gets done. So I think the only way to really ensure that the rules that we have in place or the constraints that we have in place are the right ones have been have been kind of put and put in at the right level is to actually observe how those constraints are lived by the people that actually have to work within them. But it seems like we'll have an opportunity. Um let me let me think how to form this when 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 people start to bounce forward when they when they come back to work and by come back to work a lot of people are working the essential workers are working but when when management and safety leadership comes back to work um the opportunity to observe work in the old ways gone so what you're saying is they should probably before they do anything is they should not change anything and observe what's happening in order to understand how this new adaptive way has created success on its own? Yeah, I mean, that I agree with what you said, um, which I guess is a reflection of what I said. I would probably add a small caution there that um, some of these rules 
you know may may actually be genuinely necessary um, in in sort of normal times. So don't kind of wait for months and months and observe the work whilst that rule is no, is, is is still not in place or or, or reintroduced. Um, but in, in a general sense, yes, um, we should be using this as an opportunity to look at where we can uh, introduce more flexibility into the system and allow people to to use their adaptability to try and make the system not just safer, but possibly even more efficient and productive. So uh, let me see if I can I'm... make a list that you, uh, uh, see, if you, see if you think this is interesting. The yeah. first thing you do is, is capture how the work is being done currently based upon the contextual factors of COVID-19. Yeah. Number two, look at what rules are not being followed and ask, is it causing harm? Yeah. Then number three, look at the rules that were supposed to be followed and ask, are they still necessary? Are they are they any longer necessary? Yeah, but possibly more nuanced than that would be to say, um, does can this rule be adjusted or adapted to um, be more more useful to the people that have to follow it? Um, so it's not necessarily just a binary decision of keep it or get rid of it. It could be to to change it. Uh, to make it more user friendly or to make it more beneficial to the people that have to use it. Is it fair to tell managers globally that the the workplace they're going back to when the crisis is abated is not going to be the same workplace they left when the crisis happened? Um, whether or not that's true, I th- I think it's a good good principle to work off um i think it's, it's always good to approach things with a fresh set of eyes and, and um not necessarily to throw the baby out with the bathwater. um i'm not sure if you're familiar with that um that term but uh, uh no wanna... i'm not anti-baby <laughs> of course i'm familiar with that I, you guys don't own that term you own probably, you own a bunch we, of weird stuff to... like like vinegar and badger piss flavored crisps we don't own that <laughs> We don't even want that. You can keep that on your side. Well, I'm, I'm not taking any any uh, food banter off uh, off you. Oh. But, uh, Amer- Amer- Americans, uh, are, well, I don't want to start a, dip- a diplomatic incident, but uh, <laughs> I think Brits know a bit more about food than Americans. But um, oh, that was bold. That was oh. you just threw down on me, brother. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because if you want good boiled food, England is the place to go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe back in the seventies, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Things things have moved on a little bit from there. It's interesting to me that what we've talked about is probably a really important topic that I hadn't really thought of, and that is kind of a go do an action list, if you will, to think about upon reentry. The bigger question, I guess, is what does reentry look like, and when will it happen? And how can we leverage our organization so that we really, truly do bounce forward? And I think that's the conversation we're having. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in, in my previous organization that I've just left, because um, obviously they've they've gone down from um, about 10,000 flights a month to probably some about a 97% reduction in passenger operations that's amazing although the although the cargo operations going strong and there are uh, aircraft flying around uh, with no passengers and just cargo on 
Um, that's a huge reduction in, in normal operations. Um, and actually, um, the Flight Safety Foundation, who are a, an, a, an NGO in the US, um, but all provide sort of global, um, global support to, to the aviation industry, they've actually recently published some guidance to airlines to basically covers three aspects in terms of managing safety. One is um, scaling down of your operations and considerations around that. One is dealing with your operations at, at a downscaled uh, level. And the other is how to how to get back to um, safe operations once you ramp up again, um, and whenever that is and, and to whatever level that is. And I think, um, yes, that's a that's a kind of an NGO and, and a global organization publishing that. But I think that's the sort of thing that most industries and, and associations should be looking to do is is to provide support to organizations that says this is how you can or these these are things you need to think about at various stages of this this uh, unprecedented situation. My bet is they don't ask the worker, they don't ask them to observe the work is done now in the new way in order to determine how to change the work. So my guess is, is that people honestly think it'll go back to the way we did it beforehand. I think that's comfortable. Change is difficult and we've been through a tremendous amount of dramatic change. And so this idea that we can just pick up the procedures we left, um, and start as if nothing ever happened is appealing. It's just not very practical. Yeah, I think I think it's going to take very brave organisations and, and brave leaders to to do what what we're sort of suggesting to 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 use this as an opportunity to make significant changes. Or, although I will caveat that with uh, all changes should be risk assessed. That was a that was a little bit of conservative safety guy coming out there at the end. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll, well I'll, I'll caveat that caveat with um, you can use many, many different tools and processes to risk assess. It doesn't have to be a, a five by five risk matrix, but um, we shouldn't we should never make changes to our operation unless we know the unintended consequences that they could lead to. And I would caveat that by saying you can take the boy out of aviation safety. You just can't take the aviation safety out of the boy. Yeah, that's fair enough. Oh, but Adam. Can you ever fully know, ever fully know, what the unintended consequences are? He says, thinking about the butterfly effect. I can't even butter, butter. Help me, butterfly effect. <laughs> right. I thought that was a great conversation, and out of it came some kind of interesting thinking. I, I think we sort of created three steps that you should do when you re-enter, sort of the observation of work is done in the new reality the bouncing forward questions how's work being done now what needs to stay from past formalities and what needs to go and i think you can't answer those last two questions until you can answer that first question and so adam i will be ever forever thankful for the time we spent together in this little podcast and I bet the people who listen are too. So that's good. I mean, that's that's the whole gig. So it sounds like we did it pretty well. That is the podcast. I'm way over time. I'm minute 23 over time. That's bad. Oh, sorry. I'm bad guy. Bad man. Bad man. Until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. For goodness sakes, be kind to each other. And uh, stay safe. <laughs>